0: Thank you, runners and walkers who participated last weekend. Uh, Team World Vision, the Eau Claire team, raised over $34,000 for clean water for uh, families in Africa. Thank you, runners and walkers. Uh, Thank you for all those who served at the water station. I think I counted over 33 people serving at the Bridge Water Station last weekend. And uh, hey, thank you to Adam Condit for winning it all. Pretty cool. So, if you didn't know, Adam is a part of the Bridge family, so okay. Bridge kids, thank you uh, for joining us for worship. Happy Mother's Day, all you moms. I am grateful that I had a biological mother who saw fit to adopt me when she wasn't able to raise me on her own. She adopted me as an infant, and I'm grateful for the mother who adopted me and provided a safe place to grow up. And uh, She passed away when I was 16, so there's a lot I don't know about her. Um, I did not receive any spiritual heritage uh, from my adopted mother, but I I know she loved me, and I understood what that was. Uh, I guess I'm mostly grateful uh, for the mother of my children, who I love very much and has been a great mom. Today we're in Luke chapter 18. We're going backwards. Luke chapter 18, verses 15 through 30 is our uh, passage, like a little child. Sophia Cavalletti is a researcher who has pioneered the study of spirituality in young children. Uh, She finds that children often have an amazing perception that far surpasses what they've been taught by their parents. For example, one three-year-old girl raised in an atheistic family with no church contact and no Bible in her home once asked her dad, where did the world Come from? He answered in a purely naturalistic, scientific way. Then he added, There are some people who say that all this comes from a very powerful being. They call him God. At this, his little girl started dancing around in joy. And she said, I knew what you told me wasn't true. It's him. It's him. Three years old. Psychologist Paul Bloom at Yale University reports that when children are directly asked about the origin of animals and people, they tend to prefer explanations that involve an intentional creator, even if the adults who raise them do not. Psychologist Justin Barrett of Oxford University also reports that scientific evidence has shown that built into the natural development of children's minds is to see the natural world as designed and purposeful. And thus, some kind of intelligent being is behind that purpose. Barrett also believes that even if children were put on an island and raised themselves, he says, I quote, I think they would believe in God. He further write, writes that it appears that we have to be educated out of the knowledge of God by secular schools and media. Question, is it possible that we have something to learn from kids? Writer Ralph B. Smith has observed that children ask about 125 questions every day. Moms, you know this. And adults ask about six questions a day. Somewhere along the way we have lost 119 questions. Mark Batterson writes a child's innate curiosity about life is instilled in them at birth by the one who longs to be discovered. The more questions they ask, the more they discover about the world around them. The more they discover the more they discover about the one who made them. Children have a special place in the heart of Jesus. He invites us to learn from them in Luke chapter 18. Now, you may recall that I skipped over this a while back. You probably almost forgot about it, but I saved it just for this day. Luke uh, chapter 18, I want to read verses 15 through 17. And so I would invite you to turn if you've got... A Bible or a Bible app, Luke chapter 18, and we're going to have an extended passage here. Verse 15 through 17. People were also bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. This is quite similar to the Mark passage I just read earlier at the dedication. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God, like a little child, will never enter it. Jesus wants us to learn from children. If you're following your outline, Jesus wants us to learn from children, verses 15 through 17. The setting is verse 15. People were bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. This was customary in the first century that parents would would bring their kids to a rabbi. They would want the rabbi to pray for their child. They would want the rabbi to bless their child. Um, Jesus was way more popular than the rabbis. And people just crowded around to see him. And people wanted to be near Jesus. It was natural that they wanted to have their babies near Jesus and to have Jesus touch them. They understood the importance of touch. Jesus understood the importance of touch. We see the problem in verse 15. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. The disciples came between Jesus and the people. Apparently, they thought that they were protecting Jesus from these kids. For them, Jesus was too important, Jesus was too busy. Children were on the low end. It's maybe hard for us to understand, but socially, children were not valued. They, they could even be throwaways. Now, we do see that in our culture. It's not so much a part of our culture in this room, but they were on the low end of the social stratum. The disciples assumed that they weren't important enough for Jesus. Jesus corrected them. Then he gave the instruction in verse 16 and 17. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. He welcomed kids. He invited the kids to come near and to be close. And then comes his instruction. He says, For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now the kingdom of God is a term that we've seen all throughout Luke. It includes the rule and reign of God. The problem is, things go differently in heaven than they do on earth. And Jesus came to bring the kingdom to this earth, and he did in his presence. And it has influence through his church. But the kingdom of God is not one with the earth yet. One day there will be an eternal kingdom. We can call it heaven but it's not yet. And the, the focus here is on that future, eternal aspect of the kingdom. Um, he said, "The kingdom of God belongs to such as these." He wasn't saying that these keys excuse me, these kids were automatically uh, saved because they were brought into a physical proximity with Jesus. He wasn't saying that at all. He was saying there is something about small children such as these, something about the qualities of children that we need if we're going to enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom belonged to people with these qualities. He says, verse 17, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. He restates that idea again. The kingdom of God needs to be received with childlike qualities. We know babies are totally dependent. They need parents or adults for everything. They when they come into this world, they can't do anything for themselves except breathe. There's a couple of other things that they do that require attention. (laughs) They are totally dependent on someone else to meet their needs. Small children are trusting of their parents. It's just easy for them to trust, assuming that there's safety with those adults. To receive the God's kingdom, one must be dependent, totally trusting in God's provision. The lesson for us is small children are dependent on others to care for them just like we are dependent on God for all things. That's what we can learn from children. To receive the kingdom of God, one must be dependent, totally trusting in God's provision. One must have childlike faith. Are you dependent on God for your life? It's a great question for Mother's Day. It's a great question for mothers. It's a great question for dads. It's a great question for grandparents and friends and family and church family. The issue is trust. Small children are trusting. Are you childlike in your faith when it comes to God? Do you trust God's provision for your eternal salvation. That's why God sent His Son, Jesus, that He would come to this earth, that He would live a perfect life, that He would give up and sacrifice His life. He would die on a cross and He would pay the penalty for our sin, for all of our sin. And He has one requirement from us, It's not something to do, it's something to believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The issue is trust. Can you trust what God said about his son? So first Jesus wants us to learn from children. Next he wants us to learn from a certain rich man. Verses 18 through 30. Learn from the rich man. So here's a Story for us. I want to read verses 18 through 25. I want to encourage you to follow. A certain ruler asks him, ask Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Is a good question. Jesus answers with the question, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Here it comes. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is. For the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So, what can we learn from the rich man? First question: the certain ruler asked Jesus. We don't know his name. Um, he was a ruler in the first century and the culture of Israel. Two things come to mind really quick: one is, was he a ruler of a synagogue? meaning he was a very important religious leader. Or was he a ruler of the nation, a member of the Sanhedrin? Could be. I'm guessing Luke would have told us that much, but maybe he's a ruler. He has some kind of authority. He's in charge. And he asks this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he calls Jesus the good teacher. Now, does he think Jesus is a good teacher? Is he you know wanting to have make a good impression with Jesus? Why does he call him good? And um, the good teacher in verse nineteen he comes back with this question as Jesus often did. He answers a question with the question It just drives you crazy. He says, "I think Jesus detects a bit of superficiality in this man and He takes the discussion very skillfully right to the heart of the matter. Why do you call me good? That's the heart of the matter. No one is good except God alone. That's a question for reflection. Why do you call me good? Who do you think I am? Jesus has been around for three years And he has very slowly and carefully revealed himself to his audience and to the nation. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He has made claims to be equal with the Father. He never kept this a secret. They're going to crucify him for this. But he says, why do you call me good? Verses 20-22. through Two, um, Jesus gives an invitation. This is interesting. Verse 20. You know the commandments, and he's referring to the ten commandments in the Old Testament. Um, the commandments were given as a measuring stick. Where do you stand with God? Here's, here's some markers to think about things that how are you doing? And so he, did, he he's gonna read he's gonna list off five commandments. You shall not commit adultery. Um, that's having a sexual relationship with somebody that you're not married to. And Jesus even raises the bar and says, even if you have lust in your heart. He says, you shall not murder. And even he's going to raise the bar and says, so if you have hatred in your heart. You shall not steal. You shall not give false witnesses, false testimony, lying honor your father and mother those are all important there are five of the Ten Commandments but you know what there are five more and Jesus leaves off these are all about your relationship with others Jesus leaves off the last commandment and he leaves off the first commandments that deal with the relationship with God verse 21 look at this response All these I've kept since I was a boy. This man is confident that he is a good person. He has kept the commandments continually without violation. Some first century rabbis actually taught that a person could keep all the commandments. In other words, a person could be perfect. Perfect. I don't know that Jesus is convinced of that. Uh, let me just remind you in Matthew five forty-eight. Earlier in Jesus' ministry, uh, he said this as it relates to the commandments. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And what he's saying here is you've got to be like God if you want to be accepted because he's the one who is the, has the standards. You've got to be as good as God. That's If you're going to get there by good works... By counting on the good things that you do, you've got to be as good as God. uh, Back to Luke uh, 18, verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. After he heard him say, I've kept all the commandments, I think I'm pretty good, what do you think? When Jesus heard this, he said, you still lack one thing. Jesus is not quite satisfied, but Jesus doesn't um, argue with this man, he doesn't berate this man he offers a major insight into his character. He says, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Jesus knew what was in this man's heart. All the way through the Gospels, we see Jesus knew what was in the heart of man. And so he approaches him on this one thing, one major thing. Because Jesus knew for this man there was something more important than God. There was something more important than eternal life. Jesus gives the invitation, then come and follow me. Now, this is an invitation for this man. This is not an invitation for all people. Jesus is talking to one man and and he knows one man's heart. So here's what I'm saying and to give you a little bit of relief, I know you're not worried about this, but he's not asking you to sell everything. Um, That's not the requirement, okay, for eternal life, to sell everything. Now, he may ask you to do that, I don't know, but that's not for salvation. Um, Jesus understands this man... Uh, has a heart issue, and he needs to get his heart changed. He needs to be converted. He, he needs to get his heart turned around. He needs to be honest about his own heart. Then, after conversion, he should follow Jesus and be his disciple. Jesus has always been concerned about the heart, and he still is today. Matthew 6 uh, Jesus taught about the heart and our treasure. Uh, let's look at Matthew 6, verse 19. And Jesus instructs, Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where, God and, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus is asking his followers to store up treasure in heaven. Jesus is asking his followers to be generous toward God, because when they are, they're investing in the futures eternally, okay? Next slide. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our hearts seem to follow our money. Look at your checkbook. Our hearts follow our money. And then Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And I think the American Christian just wants to argue the dickens out of verse 24 with Jesus. But you can't. If we have two masters, we only need one. That's what Jesus is calling for. You cannot serve both God and money, and I think in American Christianity, we just like to be on the fence and say, "Yes, we can verses twenty three through twenty five we see some misplaced priorities when he heard this when the rich man heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy uh, when, it, when Jesus told him to sell everything and give to the poor, he was disappointed, he was downcast he, he he counted the cost and decided it wasn't worth it. He's not going to follow Jesus. doesn't like what Jesus has to say. You know what? Jesus gave the commandments earlier. He gave five and he left out five. The first commandment is you shall have no other God before me. Now, I learned the commandments a little bit differently. There are two versions of the commandment after the Protestant Reformation I learned the Lutheran version. The second commandment is you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The third commandment is to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Those are about our relationship with God. And then we go to honoring your parents and not uh, killing and not stealing and not committing adultery and not bearing false witness. The very last commandment Jesus didn't mention, and it's about money and stuff. This is where, the guy, where it all broke down for the rich man Because of his love of the money and stuff, it became more important than the one he proclaimed to follow. He had another God. And guess what? He didn't think Jesus was good enough to be God. And he did not want to follow Jesus. This is a very powerful insight that Jesus has. And he goes on in verse 24, um, how hard it is for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's true. It's hard. It's easier, and then he, this is a hyperbole, and he's not saying, um, you know, he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle That is not easy. That's impossible. That's his point. It's a hyperbole. It's humorous. It's like, duh. And he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. This is a very powerful insight into humanity. People who have a lot of money and stuff tend to get attached to it way more than they think they do. Um, sometimes this is explained, like they, they, uh, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. Sometimes it is explained that, well, the, the eye of the needle referred to a door in the wall in Jerusalem, the wall around the city, and it would be like, like one of those doorways right there, but it was like real short for little people. So, for a camel to go through, the camel had to go on its knees, and that's what Jesus meant. No, he didn't. This is a sewing needle. He's talking about, and uh, it's impossible. So, if you were here last week, we noted that your household, if your if your household makes thirty four thousand four hundred dollars a year, you are in the top one percent of world income. What do you think of that? Are you rich? You certainly are by the world standards, because even if you make less than that, you're going to be in the top two or top three or top four um, percent. We have a tendency just to compare ourselves with others, and there's always somebody who has more than we do, and we aren't there, and so we're just normal, everyday people. We aren't rich. Second question comes in verse 26. Those who heard this ask, who then can be saved? Here is this rich guy. Now we have to remember here that the way this was viewed in the first century, especially in Israel, if you got this religious guy and he's rich, it's just a pure sign of the blessing of God. He's wealthy because God has just blessed his socks off. And so, God, he must have it all together. And then this guy is super religious. He does all these things to be good. Um, if he can't go to heaven, who can? Um, who, who then can be saved? Can anyone be saved? Verse 27, Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Being saved, because that's been the subject, and having eternal life, because that's been the subject, is totally impossible for a human to do on their own achievements. It is totally impossible. It is only possible with God. He is the only one who can provide eternal life, eternal salvation. It is a God thing, and only a God thing. That's why Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, the Apostle Paul says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. It's not about us. It wasn't about the rich ruler that encountered Jesus. It wasn't about how good he was. It had to be from God, a God thing. And it has to be received like a child. Because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Last part, verses 28 through 30, real family values. Peter said to him, We have left all we had to follow you. This was true. Peter, I think, is beginning to question where does he stand? If this rich man isn't going to make it into heaven, where do the rest of us stand? Because we followed you, Jesus, and as we think about it, we did leave everything behind. Verse 29, truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left his home, his wife, or brothers, or sisters, or parents, or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus commends his disciples for their choices. They have understood what it means to put the kingdom of God first. Even ahead of their families, they understood it, and Jesus commends them for that. Jesus taught his disciples to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, to do that above all. Yet, I think the American Christian church is in danger of putting their families first before their relationship with god i'd like to share a challenge with you this morning from francis chan who is a leading voice in the church today so we have a short video clip i want you to listen carefully there's about 10 seconds that are going to be hard to hear don't worry about it okay but lean in and listen
1: That's burning in my heart. To okay. Okay. So. I'm pretty excited when I see the faith of some of the young people today that are just saying, God, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. There wasn't a lot of that when I grew up. Um, but what happened with those who did have that spark and that excitement, I saw how the church almost squashed them, Um, and I'm praying for this next generation, for the young people who are just saying, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything and they're doing it, they're going overseas or they're you know, right where they're at in the inner cities or in their own suburbs, just going, you know, I'm gonna be radical, I'm gonna follow Jesus completely, I want it all, I'm, I'm not about the games and, and about, okay, entertain me to death in, in the church, I wanna follow Jesus and I wanna experience him. And I guess my challenge to the church is, is for those that are maybe my age or those who are uh, um, even further along, It's like, would you set the example for the young people? Because what happened um, in my generation when we were younger, uh, there were those who were radical, but there weren't people. Once they got married, everything changed. Once they had kids, everything changed. And I'm just praying, oh God, could I be an example of someone who's married and has kids and is still thinking kingdom first? Like saying, you know, like 1 Corinthians 7, those who are married should live as though they're not. Uh, There's a sense in which this mission is bigger and can we still live and take risks and still surrender our lives and and say, you know what, it's me, my wife, my family, I want to demonstrate to them, you know what, look, when we follow Christ, yeah, that was a little scary, yeah, that might have been a little dangerous, yeah, that was not the, you know, logical move to make, but God did call us that direction, and let's head that way, and I want my kids to experience what it, what it looks like when we live by faith, but not only that, I want to be an example to the young people to say, you know what, your, your mission with the Lord doesn't end when you get married, and suddenly, oh, well, you're dating, so focus on each other, and oh, it's your first year of marriage, you know, just focus on each other, and oh, you just had a kid, you know what, then, then take time for that, that little kid, and until he goes to school then you'll be free but then once they're in school it's like oh they're teenagers now just collect that family together and worry about yourselves but then you're you're teaching them this mentality again is not about going out in the harvest and being a worker it's about let's protect our family now now let's keep us safe let's find some gated community and you know and keep them all in our house away from all the bad people and that's (laughs) there's no excuse for that That is not what, you you can't find that in this book. It's about living for Him, and you're missing out. Not only are you missing out on life, but your children are missing out on life when you do that. That's why so many of the kids, when they turn 18, they just ditch God altogether, because they didn't see anything real in your life. They they didn't see that adventure, and and you didn't put yourself in positions where God had to come through, and then He comes through, and your whole family was going, wow, that was amazing. I am never going to leave that God. No, you just create a little bubble for yourself, where, how was God even going to operate in, in that? And I don't know, I, I don't want to be negative, I don't want to sound negative, I'm just, I just get sad, because I go, not only are you missing out on life, but we are turning away our children by the droves, because our lives are not the adventure that they see in Scripture, and they are not experiencing the Holy Spirit. They're experiencing like a Christian version of the American dream that's watered down, and, and we just make excuses for really idolizing our families um, rather than really putting Christ in the mission first.
0: So there's a challenge for us. How important is your family? I hope your family is really, really important. I think it's a good question to ask. Do we at times put our family in the most important place and somehow God gets off to the side or in a lower level? Um, The lesson here is the danger for us is putting our money or anything ahead of God, even our family. There's a danger. It's You know, the the whole American culture operates on money and creating a desire for you to want more and more and more when contentment is having, being satisfied with what we already have. And that's a spiritual issue and it's a hard issue. Um, This whole putting money in stuff comes directly from our passage. By the way, if Jesus asked you face to face and you, know, you are a Christ follower, you know your sins are forgiven and you're going to heaven. And if he asks you face to face, sell everything and give to the poor, what would you do? I don't know what I would do. That's, that's an amazing question. That's what Jesus asked this guy because he, he was testing his heart. What is the most important thing to you? Is it your family? Is it God's kingdom? Is it your boyfriend? Is it your girlfriend? Is it something else? The issue here is trust. Can you totally trust Jesus with your life? Can you totally trust Jesus with your eternal salvation? Can you totally trust Jesus with your family? Let's all stand and pray. Father, as we looked at a hard passage this morning, um, as we think about what's the most important thing in our lives, most of us know in this room that Jesus needs to be first, that he is Lord. And so I just want to ask us to evaluate that right now. What is the most important thing or person in your life? Is there any alterations or adjustments that you need to make? Do you need to acknowledge that something has become more important than putting God and His kingdom first? Do you need to offer yourself to God as a living sacrifice for Him? Do you need to be repositioned to have him be the Lord of your life. Take time and reflect on that. Father, I'm grateful that you sent your son Jesus for us. I'm grateful for the instruction. I confess sometimes it's really hard. And yet I believe that putting your kingdom first and your righteousness first has to be the only way to go. May we as your church be found faithful. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray, amen.